0: I said, empty your mind, be formless, shapeless, like water. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. online Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Live Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and I am reporting to you live from Bend, Oregon. I came back, got back to town. I'm here in my office. Um, Got things set up. I am super, super excited to be back in town. Um, That accordion music was beautiful man in uh, Venice, Italy. As I was on my way out uh, to uh, catch a plane, I was around like... It was like 10 p.m. or so and this this Brad fella was playing his accordion, so I broke open my backpack, got my recording stuff out, and uh, recorded him. So that was that. If you tune into the end of the episode, you will hear the whole performance. Really interesting instrument that accordion. Uh, in this today's episode, we got to chat with Mr. Jonathan Baylor, the greatness, New York Times bestselling author, a uh, really, really fascinating fellow. The guy is a smart cookie. He's got something like 25 patents under his name, uh, really fascinating perspectives, and I am very grateful to have him on the podcast today. In today's conversation, we break down the calorie myth, which is his New York Times bestselling book, and um, how he feels about calories calorie counting, and the potential ridiculousness of it, or or at least unnecessariness of it, and uh, how we can actually increase our food intake as long as it's high-quality, complete nutrition, and uh, decrease our exercise, increase intensity, but kind of just retool, reformulate our perspective on movement, on exercise, and on nutrition. This is an important conversation
2: to tune into, people, get on down on it.
1: Um, also talk about the relation uh various foods, impact on your hormonal balances, what would a podcast episode be without talking about rats doing cocaine?
2: so our body is i would argue the most beautiful and complicated natural system in the world Mm. and anyone you talk to who's worth their salt in the nutrition community will echo that basically you can judge how much of an expert someone is in the human body by how willing they are to say how little they understand there is a huge difference between the mechanical and the biological and you get into really tough situations when you treat something that is biological like it's mechanical
1: Please, and thank you, utilize the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N-therapy.com. On there, you will find hundreds of free videos on self-care and functional movement. You will find the self-care kit, which is a foam roller, hollow, screw-on tops on the outside there, inside, you put a couple different size myofascial release balls, band, door anchor, everything that you need to effective with your self-care practice. Keep that tissue moving sexy and smooth like it should. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for leaving reviews on iTunes. I so greatly appreciate that. Tell your friends. Tell your family. And one final note in this conversation I had uh, mentioned Uh, studies I heard about in relation to schizophrenics and their metabolism changing and uh, depending upon their mood and I realized after the conversation that that was not the studies that I had read. What it was actually in relation to was uh, multiple personality disorders and there's various different studies in relation to this of different personalities actually taking on different blood pressure, different allergies, sometimes color blindness, various different rashes and such coming up. So literally their whole entire physiology changing dependent upon the, the personality that they happen to be taking on at that moment. And I find that to be very, very interesting in relation to the control that we may have over our own physiology. If we're able to drop into a depth of awareness with ourselves, I strongly believe that we can start controlling our own health set points, as Jonathan Baylor puts it in the calorie myth. So, Really, really interesting subject. You can learn more about this with uh, Robert Ader and psychoneuroimmunology. Uh, really just amazing, amazing subjects. And uh, hopefully, you'll have somebody on the show in relation to that real, real soon. So, um, thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you, Jonathan, for coming on. And here we go, Mr. Jonathan Baerler.
0: podcast
1: we're turning into these machines with our perspectives on ourselves where there's like this this quantified self movement where it's like how many steps you take and how many heartbeats you have it's like I feel like soon we're going to start measuring, like, sexual sensation. Like, we had a nine, <laughs> honey. You know, And one of your perspectives, or your kind of your, your, your gist, I think, is it's not just about the quantity. It's not just about the number of how much stuff happened. It's about the quality of those events. And your perspective on that comes from um, calories and beyond that. But the book, Calorie Myth, which I think is great. I would suggest anyone go out and grab that thing. Um, I'm curious, can you just start us off a little bit of, like, what is the what happens when we
2: miss sight of quantity over quality or quality over quantity Aaron you're the first person ever to to use the term mechanistic and and mechanical and I you just made me so happy because now I get to <laughs> say something that I've never actually been able to say on air yeah, before please, so please. I, I appreciate that there's a, there's this uh book, there's this other book I'm going to give a shout out to called Anti-Fragile. by the guy who wrote The Black Swan. Yeah. And uh, he makes the distinction in this book between the fund. there is a huge difference between the mechanical and the biological. And you get into really tough situations when you treat something that is biological like it's mechanical. One really good example of this is with mechanistic stuff the more you use it, the worse off it is. Right. right, so the more you drive your car, the worse off it is. But now compare that to human muscle tissue. Human muscle tissue is the exact opposite. The less you use it, the worse off you are. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's Sorry. like it's it's like you want to not use machines, but if you treat your body like it's a machine, by that logic we would say, well then definitely don't move your body. Exactly. But we know that that doesn't work. So uh, your body isn't a machine. It doesn't work like a machine. It works like biology. And when you think of your body as if it were a machine or as if it were a balance scale, then just thinking in terms of mechanistic calorie counting makes sense. But the problem is it's just, that's just not how your body works, right? If you think the world is flat, it absolutely makes sense to not sail past the horizon. The problem right. is the world isn't flat.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So for people, so one of the things that you mention is, you know, it's, it's eat more exercise less, which that for so many people, they're like pulling their hair out of their head. Like, what, what does that mean? I've been doing it wrong all this time. You know, so what I gather from that is not necessarily 100% like that. There's only one way to do something because a lot of people have been getting a lot of great results with various different modalities or approaches of their diet and their exercise and all that. And I think that your approach is fantastic. You know, what can we talk a little bit about the impact of too much exercise and the impact of maybe too little food? I think that's a very normal thing in our society that is like it's it becomes again this quantification thing you know calories in calories out and that's not always the case. can you kind of build a model for people to
2: follow of sorts? Eat more exercise less is not marketing it's it's actually science and it it, it helps when you think about it and it also It shows how the current concept of calories is so misleading, so let me unpack that. Eating more empty, uh, synthetic calories that are devoid of nutrition is certainly not good for you. But up until about the past 50 years ago, if you told someone to eat more, what they would be eating more of is real, whole, nutrient-dense food. Eating more would cause them to take in more nutrition- Right. And more essential nutrients. So, what we see in our culture today is just rampant disease diabetes, cardiovascular disease, heart disease, disruption of the gut flora, hormonal dysregulation, much of which are all caused by an absence of essential nutrition in the body, right? The the human body doesn't want to be obese any more than it wants cancer, any more than it wants diabetes, right? Everything in our body is quote unquote designed to keep us healthy and thriving. That's, If nothing else, that's what our genes want to do, right? They want us to not die so that they can replicate. But when we don't give our body enough nutrition, that can't happen and we get diseased. And then if we want to heal ourselves, if our approach is, hey, give your body even less nutrition, Right. which is what calorie restriction does, yeah. that doesn't make any sense at all. So what we actually need to do is to flood the body with nutrition. So it's not eating more of the low-quality calories that made us sick. It's eating more of high-quality foods that provide an abundance of nutrition and re-regulate our appetite. And the same thing applies with exercise. If your approach, if, if you're told, hey, just exercise more, just exercise more, just exercise more – then by definition, you can't do things like strenuous weight training because you can't do a lot. You, you try to squat heavy for 10 minutes. Right. It, it doesn't, you can't do that. There's an inverse relationship between the quality of exercise or the intensity and the quantity. So if all you ever hear is exercise more, exercise more, exercise more, what you're actually hearing is two things. Exercise more at a much lower quality, And that's actually the opposite of what science shows of if your goal is metabolic healing, not if your goal is to run a marathon, that's a totally different thing. If your goal is metabolic healing, exercising at a higher intensity for a shorter duration is going to give you much more bang for the buck.
1: And so that gets into the point, you know, as far as our body weight, you know, our our set point, you know, the the weight that is like our natural homeostasis. And we kind of have this sense of like, well, I'm just big bone, you know, and then everyone, you know, in in a sense, you know, we we do have different body types for sure. You know, it's like, you can't, when I'm working with clients here, one of the things I say, is like, we're not going to turn, you know, a a Fiat into a Porsche. What we can do though, is we can make you have the best Fiat possible, you know? And so you're not going to all of a, Sudden, just completely change your genetics in a day. But that being said, we can start to shift the dials a little bit and make a new norm for ourselves. I think that are the norm that we have for ourselves that we've accepted, in my opinion, for most people, is, is dismal. I think that we, we can ask so much more out of our bodies, but because we just kind of we end up just calling it genetics, you know, we put the blame on that. We're stuck. We're screwed. We got nothing from that, you know, So, is there any strategies that we can utilize in order to start to shift that set point weight that we have?
2: You make a great point, Aaron, when you say, "Hey, we're not going to take a Fiat. We're, we're not going to turn it into a Porsche." But you know what? We can have that optimally running Fiat. I, I love that analogy, and I think another analogy that really helps people here, and then we'll get into how to actually do it, sure. is is think about your. <laughs> this is going to sound a little funny, but think of your body like you think of your face. Let me unpack this for a second. Okay. Right. So, so I don't look like Ryan Gosling, and I can't look like Ryan Gosling naturally. There's nothing I can do to be as attractive as Ryan Gosling. He's a really good-looking dude. Uh, however, that doesn't mean I can't wash my face. That doesn't mean I can't brush my teeth. That doesn't mean I can't spend some time in the sun, so I, I don't look like a ghost. Right? There are things I can do to make my face as optimal looking as I can, but it's never going to look like Ryan Gosling's face. And that doesn't mean I'm bad. It just means I need to work with the deck I've been given. And the same thing applies to our body, right? we we tend to be think, and especially females in our culture get tend to uh, be told like everyone can have a six pack. You know, that that's that's not true. Not everyone can have a six pack. Not everyone can have 18 inch arms. It just doesn't. Not everyone can have calves that look like baseballs close to your knee. Some people have different muscle insertion points and you simply can't do that. Right. doesn't mean you're bad. doesn't mean you're doomed. It just means you got to work with what you have and you got to love what you have and make the best of it. And, and the way you do that, Aaron, is by eating more what I call sane foods, or these are foods that are unarguably going to provide you with the most of that which is essential for human thriving and the least of what is addictive and toxic that are going to really satisfy you, that are going to keep you hormonally healthy, and they're not easily converted as fat by your body. Right. So with the same foods, I believe it is satiety, aggression, and
1: uh, what is it? Nutrition and efficiency is the is, exactly. the, is the acronym for that. Boom. You know, so- I think bam! <laughs> I think um I'm curious with that. I think satiety, that makes a lot of sense, which actually we only have 30 minutes, so we can't get into all of this. Um but there are a lot of clever tips for people out there that I can get into another show or maybe we can talk a little bit about here. Um in in as far as food that actually satiates you. you know, and I think that that is a big issue is we're so accustomed to eating this sugary you know, food or pasta or whatever it may be. And it's like, I'm still hungry. And then you finish up with some ice cream. You know, then all of a sudden you get another hunger pain, which you're not realizing is you're, your body is becoming addicted to these sugary substances. And then you look at various other foods and you know, like fat intake, when we're eating fat, we end, up getting, we end up releasing various different hormones that actually stimulate satiety. We actually get full for a long, long time. You know, so from your perspective on that, that actually wasn't even my original question. My original question was, was, <laughs> the, was the, the aggression part. Um, but can we talk about both of those? Because I think both of those are really
2: crucially important. Absolutely, yeah. They're two two of my favorites. So satiety. This is a, this is a big one where it also is where people talk about. Well, people that are overweight just eat too much, and, and what they fail to understand is okay. First of all, seventy percent of the people in this country are overweight. So I I like it is not true that seventy percent of the people in the country are just stupid and lazy. Okay, so there is something else going on because seventy percent of the American population isn't just stupid and lazy. So what we tend to see is that. We have 70% of the population. We actually have a hundred percent of the pop excuse me, ninety-nine percent of the population probably does this every day. They eat when they're hungry, they stop when they're full, and they splurge occasionally. Right. I think it's a fair characteristic of ninety-nine percent of the population. There's one percent that's just mm-hmm eating pints of hagen-dazs ice cream and emotionally eating five bags of potato chips a night there's no question that those individuals are eating too much of low quality food but that's not what we're talking about because most people don't do that so how is it that some people eat to their full and stop when they're satiated and splurge occasionally and become overweight and some people don't well as you said Aaron there are different to reach that point of satiety is not 1,000 calories of X versus 1,000 calories of Y, where X and Y are different kinds of foods, will, will yield a much, much different satiety result in your body. We can get into the science. It has to do with protein. It has to do with gastrointestinal stretch. But we can just give a very simple example, which is Pringles potato chips or light beer. Pringles potato chips advertises that once you pop, you can't stop. Right? <laughs> They're telling you if you eat these calories – you will be hungrier for more calories. Right. right? And, and in fact, light beer was designed to say you can drink beer calories now and not get full. That's the point of light beer. So it doesn't fill you up and make you feel full. Now, clearly, there, there is a difference between Pringles, which if you eat 100 calories of Pringles, you just want to eat 500 more calories of Pringles, and vegetables and nutrient-dense proteins, where if you were to eat an equivalent number of calories of those foods, you would be full and satiated for quite some time. So it's absolutely the case that one person can eat, t- t- if you eat what I would call insane foods, it may take you two to three times more calories to feel the same level of satiety as an individual who is eating sane, high-quality whole foods.
1: And, and then along with that, can we talk about the aggression piece of you know, the, the breakdown of those nutrients in your body?
2: Aggression has to do with this hormonal reaction or the response that those calories trigger. And this is, this is the one that most people are, I would say, most familiar with of these four ca- calorie quality factors when we say aggression, we just mean like what happens hormonally when you eat these foods? Is is there just an aggressive rush of, of, for example, insulin and glucose and sugar into your bloodstream or does it slowly trickle out over time? And this was popularized, just this, this one of the four quality factors was popularized with concepts such as glycemic index or glycemic load. And it's very powerful, but it's one of four factors, and this is one thing that I like to stress because people are saying like, "Oh, you know, uh, something is 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 unaggressive, therefore it's good for you." I, that's one of four things a food needs to have going for it to be good for you because we don't want to cause hormonal spikes, but we also want to make sure that it has, for example, a lot of nutrition with it. Let me just give one example of this. Um, there's a lot of talk about oils and like eat eat coconut oil. Um, Now, eating coconut oil is very unaggressive. It doesn't trigger any insulin response because when you eat fat, you don't trigger any insulin to store those calories as fat. Um, It doesn't mean that just eating pure coconut oil is a good idea. Uh, In fact, eating whole coconut might be a lot better of an idea because whole coconut is going to have much higher satiety because it has fiber in it. It's going to be much more nutritious. It's going to provide much more essential nutrients and that's good too. So we need to look at the whole food. We need to look at the whole picture and not one element. So I try to kind of dance between like
1: metaphor and science when, when when I'm chatting with people, and because I think it's so important that when we perceive ourselves, you know, like you're we're, we were saying, like break it down to it's like it's it's like taking care of your face, or break it down, it's like it's it's like a machine, or it's like whatever. You know, people attach to these metaphors because it's simple. You know, when we start talking about things that I want to talk about right now, being leptin and ghrelin and that hormonal dance between them, can we kind of create a little bit of a foundation for what what is that hormonal dance between, you know, the satiety hormone and then the hunger hormone being leptin versus versus ghrelin? Because there's some way that we can actually kind of balance that with our food intake
2: we can absolutely balance it but the way we balance it as we've alluded to isn't by micromanaging it in fact right. that's where things go off the rails right? right so we there's isn't it amazing that the the world has existed for you know millions of years Without any human diddling with it, like somehow without (laughs) humans messing with it, like (laughs) animals live and die and nature thrives, and like it's pretty amazing that somewhat simple processes can result in complex uh, homeostatic. Glory, Right. Nature is beautiful and nature is not beautiful because a human being tinkered with it. In fact, when a human being starts tinkering with nature, usually bad things happen. So our body is, I would argue, the most beautiful and complicated natural system in the world. Mm -hmm. And anyone you talk to who's worth their salt in the nutrition community will echo that. Basically, you can judge how much of an expert someone is in the human body by how willing they are to say how little they understand. right. Right. Exactly. So we don't like we're just like the gut is important. Wow, that that yep, that's pretty important. And we didn't even start thinking about that until you know ten years or so ago. So here's how you do this. You can break it down, you can use science to check stuff, but what you can also do is use a bit of common sense, which is that we have this hugely complicated biological system. And that biological system developed over thousands or millions of years, depending on your belief system. <laughs> right. And during that time period, that, that body lived in an environment. And in that environment, there were certain things that it could eat. And when it ate those things, there weren't diabetes epidemics, and there weren't obesity epidemics, and there weren't cancer epidemics, and there weren't dental problems, and there weren't irritable bowel syndrome, and one out of three people weren't on antidepressant medications. So, you know, we can science all day. That's what I do, right? I spend all my day doing science. We could also just say, hey, you know what? What did people eat before we had all these problems? And isn't it ironic that you know, those are the things that also happen to be the most satisfying, the least aggressive, the most nutritious, and the least efficient. Oh, interesting. Common sense and nature actually reflect that which the most rigorous science in the world reflects. And there's no need to count calories. It's just about saying eat more of those non starchy vegetables, nutrient dense protein, and whole food fats that we ate before we had any problems. And look, you won't have any problems,
1: right? Yeah, I I couldn't agree with more with, with what you're saying. You know, I, I feel very strongly that you know we we spawn from the universe. We we came from the dirt. If you ever listen, like Alan Watts, a great philosopher, you know he says, you know the earth peoples the same way that an apple tree apples. You know we came from this thing. You know and we are perfectly attuned to it. What we have done in the last recent, you know, it's pretty much since the like the agrarian age or since the industrial age or, or farming and industry, we've st- started to separate ourselves from that. And now we've put ourselves into this human zoo, you know, and that human zoo, it's like when you put a gorilla in a zoo or you put an orca whale in a a zoo, you look at it and we see these changes because it's not perfectly attuned to nature because we're trying to replicate it. And that's exactly what you're saying with, like with the question of the leptin ghrelin dance. When we get too specific, I like to talk about this stuff because I know people like to attach to it. You know, but when we get too specific with breaking down the environment of the gorilla, you know, oftentimes we miss the big picture of like the gorilla just needs to run out, run around outside in its perfect environment. You know, so from your perspective, I'm curious, what do you see when you're wandering around this human zoo that we are living in? How could we make our zoo better? You know, in our homes, in our towns, in our cities. Like, what's what's like the main points that
2: you see? Like, this has got to budge. The, n- the number one thing, aside from calories and not focusing on that, is we have to stop losing sight of the forest for the trees, like exactly what you said. Let me give you one example, which I think most people will find universally true, and this applies to people that call themselves healthy and into wellness, and people who don't call themselves healthy and into wellness. There will be this list of things, list of health concerns, list of health priorities, and for most people, if you say, how many servings of green leafy vegetables did you eat on average last week? Per day. Yeah. You're gonna get an incredibly low number. And it's like, I don't care if you're paleo, I don't care if you're vegan, I don't care if you're South Beach, I don't care if you're Adkins, right. I don't care if you're the United States Department of Agriculture. Everybody agrees that green plants are really good for you, and that if you ate more of them, you'd live a lot better. Sure. But you know, we're reading about all these other things. We're focused on like, does the lining of my can have all this other stuff in it? Which you know, it might. But you know what else is really important? Eating vegetables, and we're not doing that. And it's, so it's like you know we'll spend two hours on a treadmill, but we won't spend 15 minutes putting a little bit of a, you know, green smoothie in a blender and drinking it. So the number one thing I would recommend is until a person can say, on average, I'm consuming double-digit servings of non-starchy vegetables per day, uh, that, that's the number one dietary priority for me
1: yeah so another thing that i've uh, there was a study I saw where it was I, I believe it was it was schizophrenic folks, and their actual their their metabolism shifted dependent upon the personality or the state that they were in, which that to me what that says is essentially everything that we thought kind of, sort of, at least gets shaken, if not blown out of the water, you know, of like our perspective on ourselves, the way that we feel, how just excited we are to wake up in the morning. I guarantee you that has a direct correlation with how well you digest your eggs, you know, and so I'm curious from your perspective, how important is just our overall sense of, of well-being with our assimilation of nutrition and just everything?
2: Mm-hmm. I personally haven't read. I, I mean, and this doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means I haven't read it. I haven't read any research on on mood and mood's impact on nutrient assimilation. I have read research on sort of the flip of that, which is proper nutrient assimilation impacting mood. Sure. Right. So I mean, like that's 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 been studied extensively. Which is you, especially kids with ADHD, for example, <laughs> the kid who is quote unquote has ADHD. We take a step back, we look at they're getting 65% of their calories from refined sugar, and we say, right. you know, that kid might not have ADHD. They might just be wired on sugar all the time, and that affects their mood and that impacts their psyche. So the, the connection between from nutrition – to brain chemistry is certainly there. And I wouldn't be surprised if the from brain chemistry then to nutrition and nutrient assimilation is also there. I, I and I to your point, Aaron, I've seen studies where, for example, people with multiple personality disorders, one of their personalities will, for example, have high blood pressure and the other one won't. Right. So so certainly like your mind controls everything right and and there are so i would imagine yes i just can't speak to it definitively sure
1: yeah and i think it with with all that i mean obvious obviously it goes both ways you know and and obviously the the where your your mood and your your current state impacting the assimilation nutrition it's for me it's it's a little bit of an, an opinion thing of like my my felt sense as well you know of like when i'm feeling good it's like Putting food into my body, it seems like it just works. I've been in the situation several times where it's like eating out of depression, you know, where a lot of people it's like, I have a feeling, you know, that when you're in that state of, you know, I'm sad and I'm going to eat this in order to feel better. I, it's, just a, it's just a feeling, and I'm sure there's research behind,
2: behind it that that does have a, a deleterious impact on you. Just Oh, feel. Aaron, well, well, no, and certainly, and, and, and just, I mean, the way you described it there, I, I heard you a little bit differently, and I can certainly echo the fact that, you know, if we want to get really brain chemical here, I mean, we're talking serotonin, we're talking dopamine, right? And, and there's no question that whether it be sugar, fat, salt, cocaine, heroin, morphine or any other opiate on the planet if you put something into your body it can affect the way your brain is working so if your brain is like oh my gosh i really need a dopamine hit right now you know some right. people will drink alcohol some people will exercise some people will pray or meditate some people will snort cocaine and some people will eat oreos and if you're a rat and right. you have the choice between oreos and cocaine oftentimes you'll actually choose the Oreos. And that's, that's from a pretty interesting study at the University of Connecticut, I believe, where rats actually found Oreos, the whites in Oreos, to be more addictive, at least to their little rat brains, than cocaine. Right. Along
1: with that study, have you ever seen the follow-up study that with that? It was, it was called Rat Park, where they took the, the rats that were in this little cage and they give them the option of the with the cocaine. And of course, they're sitting they're in prison. You know, they're sitting <laughs> there. Their only option is like, oh, I can get high. You know, <laughs> it's like that might, that might be, you know, add a little stimulus to my life, you know, and then they have these huge monsters walking around them, pulling them out. They could kill them at any time. are like, that is a stressful situation when we put those same mice or rats into a really fantastic environment. All of a sudden, things shift. You know, they can hang out, they can have sex, they can play, they can run around. You know, when they have that, that the more beautiful environment, all of a sudden, the cocaine it's not appealing anymore. And mm-hmm. I think that directly relates to the reality of this zoo that we have created for ourselves. When you're in a job nine to five, that's that's not a natural thing for the human being to to be doing. You know, when you get in a hunter gatherer societies and, and and you know more tribal situations, the word work. There's not even necessarily a word for work so much. You know, it's just this life that we do, but we're putting ourselves in this environment that's not necessarily perfect and natural to our development. And then, of course, adding a little stimulus of a drug, I think
2: it feels good. You know, does that, does that make sense? It absolutely does. And uh, another example of the impact that one's environment can have on, on addictive type behavior, because eating is absolutely an addictive behavior, is so my father uh, valiantly served in the uh, Vietnam War. And uh, you know I heard from him, and the statistics also back up, that unfortunately, a lot of the troops that went over and participated in the Vietnam War also participated in some of the drugs that were very common in that part of the world, such as opium and heroin. Right. Lots. Like, I think there's estimates that, like, maybe one in every four GIs either tried or consistently used these substances during the Vietnam timeframe. But when the Vietnam conflict ended and people came home, we didn't see a spike in the usage of heroin and opium use. Right, exactly. Which, you know, heroin is the most addictive substance in the world, so that's just like, wait, how is that even possible? Right. Well being in Vietnam, <laughs> the stress is there and the availability of these things that can help you deal with the stress versus coming to the United States where not as much stress and it's not like, hi, can I get some heroin? I mean, it's a, so availability and amount of stress
1: certainly plays a role. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the, these studies, I know you, you got to go, so we'll, we'll let you go here. I, the, these studies that we're looking at, though, I, we really need to watch the correlation, the relation of, you know, are we studying people that are in prison? Are we studying rat- that are in rat prison and we are trying to relate them to what we should as, you know, natural human beings should be living in. If we are, I think we need to readdress those studies. You know, so ch- I think you'll really dig the rat bark thing. Um, so how I greatly appreciate your time. So great to get to chat with you. How do people find you? How do people learn more about you in the book and, and just get involved? Because I love what you're doing. I think that we need more people like yourself.
2: Thank you so much, Aaron. Yeah, folks can just hop over to sane, S A N E solution.com. Again, that's sane solution. Dot com And there's all sorts of amazing free resources, premium programs. We've got some amazing uh, ways to make eating healthful foods way more convenient. We're trying to pre- provide convenience, sane, superfoods because we just know that folks are super, super busy. So kind of taking some of the learning we have from beef jerky where it's like, you know, beef is hard to eat sometimes. But if you dehydrate it, then you can take it along with you doing the same kind of thing with vegetables, for example, making them much easier to eat. So check that out at sanesolution.com. Awesome, man. Again, we need more people with
1: perspectives like yourself. I greatly appreciate it and uh, hopefully get to see you soon. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much, Aaron. See you, man
0: podcast.
1: Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website aligntherapy.com that's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com on there you can find my blog, you can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the the, uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free information
0: Thank <laughs> you. Paul-Running DOMESTO DERVEN Thank you.